We are in this little mini three-week still all in sermon series where we have been reminding ourselves of kind of where we've been, where we've come from over the course of the last couple of years and how it has provided for us that which we've been celebrating over this last week, which is the move in to our new children's building, which has been very exciting. We've just completed our first full week and it has gone very well and uh, lots of people have been enjoying <clears throat> the space and benefiting from that place over there and we're excited about that. We welcome you if you're just sitting feet from that in the worship center or whether you are on the Moon Campus or maybe in the response venue, wherever you're listening in, maybe online today. We are glad that you are listening in as we dig into what I believe is a very, very important passage for us. It's also good this weekend to see some of our Houston team coming back. Some have already made it back from the work that they were doing in providing relief work and help and rebuilding in Houston following Hurricane Harvey and Glad for several people who are a part of that team. Today, what this passage is all about that I want to take a look at with you and what I want to dig into with you is the idea of obstacles. See, even when things go well, even when there are new buildings, even when there is relief work that is going on, there are obstacles that come up along the way, and some of the people who've been involved in those things can tell you more about all of that. But all of us know something about obstacles, right? We all face them virtually every day. You might have experienced some significant obstacles even getting here today, maybe getting your children out of bed or whatever, some obstacles have come up. In marriage relationships, there are obstacles that happen because we have sometimes differences of opinion. One spouse wants to do something one way, one wants to do it another way. You might have experienced that just this last night with the idea of the fallback time change, right? I'm kind of curious, want to take a little poll, whatever venue you're in, if you just raise your hand. How many of you believe that on time change fallback weekend, what you should do and what you did last night is you went to bed at the normal time so you could get an extra hour of sleep? All right, there are several of you boring people. How many of you would, no, I'm teasing about that. How many of you think, no, 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 there's an extra hour. We can live up an extra hour, right? Okay, that's, we're probably about half and half here in this room, at least of the, of the arms I saw. How many of you didn't know it was time change and you're surprised you're on time for church for a change? All right, that's a bunch of you kind of fall into, into that category also. Well, there are any of a number of obstacles that we face. One of those is like the pool that gets in the way of where you were trying to drive. Sometimes that happens. Or the cactus that inevitably is going to fall on your car. Happens all the time here in Pennsylvania. It's a big problem for us, I know. It's kind of a prickly situation that they're in. Yeah, I know, all right. Or how about the steeplechase hurdle that you're supposed to go over? There, here he comes up to the barrier. Seemingly, uh, no, no, it was uh, no. He's okay. No, it's all. Oh, oh yeah. Nasty. Okay. So there are obstacles all over the place that we can encounter. Today, I want to think about just that. I want to think about an obstacle different from those sorts of ones that we've been talking about. The obstacle that I want to look at together with you today is the obstacle that would keep us from getting to the place where God would ultimately have us to be in our spiritual walk. And there are any of a number of different obstacles that can stand up in the way of that. And we all come from different places. And so I want to consider some of those with you. For you, you might be in a situation where you know that God is calling you to do some things, but you're just not ready quite to jump in. Maybe it's got to do with giving your life over to Christ in the first place. 
And it's like, yeah, I, I know that that's something that I should probably do, but honestly, I don't even know that God would want me. Because of the road that I've been down, the things that I've lived, the way that I have dismissed him for so many years, I'm not even sure that God would have me if I wanted to. That's an obstacle. Maybe you're in a situation where you'd say, I think I need to get plugged into ministry, but it just might cramp my style. It just might take too much of my time. That's an obstacle. Maybe you're in a place where you would really desire to reconcile a relationship that you were in that is really struggling, and you desire to see it fixed, but you're reluctant to go ahead and do anything toward that because you're just afraid that that other person isn't going to reciprocate your step toward them. And then you're going to end up putting yourself all out there and being all vulnerable, and you'll end up with egg on your face because it wasn't returned. And so you just don't do anything at all. That's an obstacle. And all of us come to places where we get into that sort of situation, where that's the way that we respond. And when we put ourselves in that mindset, there's just this temptation to not do anything at all because we're afraid of what's going to happen or maybe what is not going to happen. So we're not willing to put ourselves out there. We're not willing to engage. We're not willing to do what is necessary to see that change come about. And there's a big problem with that. And the big problem is that that line of reasoning just sets us up to always be deposited back into the ordinary, to always live life only in the realm of places that have things that we've seen before, that the only thing that's possibly going to happen in this situation is something that I can expect because that's what my experience has been all along the way. And we just get deposited right back there again and again and again, and life ends up being mundane, and it ends up being dull, and it ends up being just lived on this sort of horizontal plane here, completely devoid of anything that would be vertical, anything that would connect us to God, anything that would take us to new heights and to new places and to new experiences. Those are obstacles, and we all have the temptation to fall into that trap. Wouldn't it be great Wouldn't it be great if there was a way that we could overcome that, to overcome that sort of mindset, to actually come to a place where we have this deep belief inside of us that says there is something new, there is something greater that I can go after, that I can experience, that is going to make my experience, that is going to make my life more than what it is, even more than what I might be able to imagine that it could be. And the good news is that that thing exists. And that's the passage that I want to take us to. One of many passages we could look at, really. But one that I believe we find some people who are in that same sort of mindset. They would have a temptation to shrink back and everything that you see in their life would sort of lead you to believe that that is the step that they would take. But they don't. We're going to take a look at what that does for them and where that leads them. Because I believe that it's going to be instructive for us. For where we live. Passage is Luke chapter 5. I'd invite you to go ahead and turn there. Your Bible, I'll be showing you a few of these verses on the screen, but most of them we're just going to be reading our way through. I'd encourage you to find that spot, maybe in your Bible you brought with you, maybe under the seats or provided for you in your venues or on your Bible app, whatever it is that would help you. Also, there is an outline in your bulletin that you might want to use to follow along. 
The account that we're going to take a look at today is the occasion when Jesus invited some people who were following to become a part of his inner circle. Sometimes we call them the 12 or the 12 disciples. But the problem is that these disciples themselves have doubt. They've got a doubt about the whole situation. They've got doubt about themselves and whether or not they can really step up and do what is being asked of them. We're going to take a look at what happens in their situation. It's going to help us. See, with the disciples, what they are going to discover is a very important truth that can transform the entirety of the situation. And I want to give you that truth just right up front so that it can kind of be percolating in your mind. You can be thinking about this as we make our way along. And that key truth that we want to be focused in on is this. It's your challenges that prove your commitment is real. It's your challenges that prove your commitment is real. See, the challenges for these disciples are not things that disqualify them. They're real, but they don't disqualify them. Quite to the contrary, it's actually their weaknesses that set them up for their greatest success. And I believe that it's the same way with us. So those challenges that you see in your life, they keep defeating you. I believe that those are things that God can and will use to actually help you to soar to a place over and beyond your obstacles. How's that work? Well, we're going to dig into that. There are actually a few different ways that that's going to happen. Before we actually get into those, I just want to set up this passage for you a little bit as we get started. The account that we're looking at happens early on in Jesus' ministry. So it's in Luke chapter 5. Already in the, in the book of Luke, to this point, we have seen the birth of John the Baptist. We have seen the birth of Jesus. Then it fast forwards about 12 years to the point in time when Jesus is in the temple and he's listening to the religious teachers and he's interacting with them and they're kind of impressed with all that this kid knows. And then his parents forget him in the temple. They go toward home and it's like they're on the way and it's like, where's Jesus? I thought you had Jesus. Any of you parents ever forgotten your child somewhere? Yeah, there are several of you who have done that. You bad, bad parents. I lost my oldest, oldest daughter, Melissa, once. I actually lost her while Carolyn was in the hospital giving birth to our second daughter. I said, well, at least we'll still have one. She wasn't amused. I'll, t- I'll tell you that story sometime. But uh, she also lost Melissa once, so we're kind of even. But thankfully, they found Jesus three days later. And the next time that we see Jesus is about 18 years from then when he actually begins his public ministry. And we see that that kind of gets started. And if you can look at the earlier chapters in the, book of, or in the book of Luke, you can see that he is tempted in the wilderness, that famous situation, and Jesus overcomes those temptations. Then he starts drawing people around him, and he starts doing miracles. And he's casting out demons, and he's healing the sick. And that sets us up for the passage where we find it today. Chapter 5, verse 1 and following says this. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, that's just another name for the Sea of Galilee, up in the north of Israel, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Simon, just another name for Peter, put out into deep water, and let down the nets for a catch. Now, on the surface, it might seem a little bit presumptuous of Jesus to just go on down and get in this guy's boat and say, let's go out a little ways. I want to teach some people in your boat or from your boat. But it turns out we discover it's really not presumptuous at all because Peter and Jesus have already become acquainted at this point. 
One of the ways that we know that, if you look back into chapter 4, you can see that one of the miracles that Jesus does is he heals this woman, and it turns out that this woman is actually Peter's mother-in-law. It actually also goes to settle a debate that has been had in some circles as to whether or not Peter was ever married. Well, it's very clear here he's married because he's got a mother-in-law. You don't get a mother-in-law any other way. No guy or girl has never gone, you know what, I'm not really interested in a wonderful spouse, but I sure would like a mother-in-law. Nobody in the history of the world has ever done that. And, the, and Peter didn't either, but he's got a mother-in-law, and Jesus knows the mother-in-law, and Jesus knows Peter, and so it's probably not quite as presumptuous as we might have thought on the surface. We also see that Peter knows even more about Jesus because in verse 5 he calls him master, which basically means good teacher. And so we find more in verse 5 as well. It's the first of the essential steps I want to look at with you today. And that step is to trust despite doubt. Okay, That's one of the things that we see here among what's going on in Peter's life and the life of these others who were there. Trust despite doubt doubt. We just saw at the end of verse 4 that Jesus told Simon to go and do a little bit more fishing. Now think about this for a second. What was Jesus' trade? He was a carpenter. That's exactly right. What is Peter's trade? He's a fisherman, a professional fisherman. Think rough. Think rugged. Think Popeye forearms probably. Think more deadliest catch, less Pee Wee Herman. And here comes Jesus, the carpenter, telling the professional fisherman how to fish. And Peter's a little bit put off by it. Verse 5, he says, Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. He's thinking, this is a waste of time. I'd rather not do it. That's what he's thinking. He's got his doubts. But here's the way that he actually responds. Take a look at verse 5 again. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. That's trust despite doubt. Now what made the difference? Well, what made the difference for Peter is the fact that he knows a little something about Jesus. He's already called him a teacher. He's, he's seen him do some healing, which is pretty impressive. He's heard him teach, so he knows a little something about Jesus. He doesn't know any, everything about Jesus. In fact, at this point, he probably wouldn't have suggested or said that Jesus is the Son of God. Not at this point, but at this point he does say, because of the little bit that I do know about you, I'm going to give a little bit of latitude and I'm going to give a try to the things that you have asked of me. I wonder if you might be there. I wonder if you might be in the place where it's like, I don't know if I buy all this stuff about Jesus. I'm not sure that he's the son of God and I'm certainly not quite at the place where I want to give myself over 100% into what it is that he asked me to do. But I know a little something about him. I'm at church. I have a little interest of some sort. Might you be able to lean into that today? Even if you're not able to go 100%, I'm all in with everything. That I'd at least be willing to maybe read your word a little bit. You'd be willing to read the Bible. Like Peter, he says, I'll do a little something and maybe pray and maybe when it comes to a decision that you need to make that you would actually consider and ask God or ask some godly people, what is it that maybe would be the right choice, the right course for me to take in this? Or when it comes to something that you, you know it's sinful in your life, that it's like, well, I'm gonna choose to set aside sin instead of run into sin. I'll choose purity over immorality. 
or whatever the case would be? Would you be willing to go as far as Peter goes, even though he doesn't believe everything, even though he's got doubts? Would you be willing to try a little trust? That's what Peter does. And just because he's willing to do that, all sorts of amazing things happen in his life. He hasn't said, Jesus, you're the Son of God, but still all sorts of amazing things are happening. Look at here at verse 6. When they had done so, that is when they'd let down their nets, as Jesus asked them to do, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Just a little bit of trust despite doubt led to this amazing demonstration of Jesus' power and Jesus' presence. And it'll work the same way for you. If you're willing to engage, if you're willing to give it a try, the challenges to faith that you have in your life don't need to put you on the sidelines until you get to the place where you can finally say, I don't have any doubt anymore. I've answered every single question that I have ever had about Jesus or about how all of this works, so now I'm ready to follow. You'll probably never get there. Yet as you're willing to embrace the challenges, you come to understand that it's your challenges that actually deepen your commitment or that prove your commitment is real. Because if you would never step out in anything where there is any measure of doubt, you'll never get to the place where you develop any sort of trust because it's never been put to the test. So you see, really what you need to understand is that you need to, you must step out, even when there are elements of doubt in your mind, if you're really going to get to the place where Jesus has the opportunity to prove his reality to you. So he'd be willing to take the step that Peter takes. He doesn't say, Jesus, I worship you yet. He says, Jesus, I'm going to trust, even though I've got doubts, I'm going to trust That's what I'd love to see us all do. First essential step is to trust despite doubt. The second essential step we learn through this passage is to pursue devotion despite unworthiness. Look at Peter's reaction to this miraculous catch of fish. Verse eight. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. See, the amazing display got Peter's attention, and he responds in the only way that seems appropriate to him in the moment. He falls down on his knees. He's immediately humbled in God's presence because he knows there's something special about him. Actually, more than special, there's something holy about him. And that's why he doesn't say, man, Jesus, you're you're greater than I am. Here's what he says. Did you notice it when we read it in verse 8? Take a look. Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. The truth is that the closer you get to Jesus, the more that you recognize the imperfections that are present in your life. That's the way it's going to happen. The brilliance of the light of Christ just reveals you for who you are. It shows you what you might not previously have understood in quite the same way. And that's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. I can remember one occasion, this was years ago, I was a young pastor and I was invited to come be a part of this special assembly of pastors and, and uh, there were probably about 30 and I was the young guy and I just wanted to, I don't know, at least impress or not make a fool of myself or something. And so I was in a, in a rush to get there and it was in the morning and it was dark and it was dark in my closet and, and I knew I needed a particular sweater and I knew where it was so I just went and I grabbed it and I threw it on and I put it on my coat, ran out the door 
got to the assembly, took off my coat, sat down in the circle, and we're sitting there around and we're talking. It's about half an hour later that something kind of caught my eye out of the corner of my eye, and I looked down, and I noticed my sweater had a big tear in it right here over the pocket. I felt so embarrassed. I felt so out of place. I, did, I just didn't know what to do. I wanted to you know, hide underneath the chair or something. Well, what was going on here? Well, it was, it was the light that finally showed me or revealed to me how ill-prepared I was for that particular moment. And that's exactly what Peter's thinking here. As soon as the light shines and he sees himself really for who he is over against who Jesus is, he kind of wants to slink under the chair, but he does something different. The only thing that seemed appropriate to him in the moment, which was to fall on his knees in worship, in prayer, in an adoration. You might remember Isaiah's situation. The Lord appears to him, reveals himself, all of his glory to him, and Isaiah responds with these words. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord all mighty. Now, here's the thing. There are two different responses that you might have when you run into that sort of situation where you are recognizing who you are over against who God is and what God's call would be for your life. Two different responses that you might make. The first of those is to run. It's to run. And in spiritual matters, what that might look like is that all of a sudden, you don't want to go to church anymore. And the reason that you don't want to go to church is because it's just a place that reveals how far it is you are away from God, especially if you're in a situation where you're not wanting to do anything about the, the things that are going on in your life that make you so far away from God. You want to actually keep going down those roads, and so you get uncomfortable in going to church. Now, you might be here, but internally you're running from God and you're pushing away whatever it is that might be said. You don't really worship. You don't really enter in. You don't really pay attention to what's being said as the scriptures are open because you're running at least internally, spiritually from God. It doesn't just stop there. It happens in other realms of life too. If that's your situation, you're not reading the Bible. You're probably not praying. You're probably avoiding the people in your life who are the ones who might otherwise speak of God and draw you toward God and, and maybe even challenge you when you're walking in an opposite direction. And you start to dismiss those people, maybe friends, maybe family, maybe that coworker at work who's a believer. You, you all of a sudden aren't spending as much time as you once did. And what you inevitably do as you, as you push away other relationships is that you start to draw in others. And now, because of the, the point of view that you're coming from, the one prerequisite for these new friends and these new activities are that they don't have anything to do with God. How well is that going to work out for you? How well is that working out for you? All of us know somebody who's gone down that road and you've seen that progression in their life. And it might be your life. Because one of the responses that we have when we recognize that we're not where we ought to be is to run. The other response is to humble yourself. To humble yourself. You acknowledge that you are unworthy as Peter does, but it leads you to praise God for his greatness rather than to run from it. That's the devotion despite unworthiness that we're talking about. Now here's the thing. God doesn't expect you to be perfect. He's never expected you to be perfect, and he doesn't push you away when you're not. What he desires is relationship. 
and a willingness on our part that when we see that we are as far out of step as what we're talking about, that we might humble ourselves, that we might confess those sins, that we might seek God's forgiveness that would draw us back into relationship, which is where he wants us to be. And for that, he invites us into deeper and deeper levels of fellowship. He doesn't push us away. Look at what happens here in verse 10. It ends by saying, Then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. He doesn't listen to Peter's self-abasement and say, You know what? You're right. You are no good. He doesn't say that at all. He says, I've got a job for you in my kingdom. Was Peter any closer to Jesus than he was before? No. He's fallen on his knees. He's acknowledged who he is. He still has all of the sin, all of the separation that might other, but God can use him in his kingdom because of his heart. Because he's not running anymore. He's running too. Works the same way for you and me if we're willing, willing to acknowledge this idea that it's your challenges that reveal where your commitment really is or how real that is. We're so inclined to take those obstacles, to take those challenges and have them be things that would just stop us in our tracks, that would cause us to run the other direction. We're feeling unworthy, and so we're not going to be devoted. We're going to run. Whatever the case might be for you, does not need to be that way. God has a purpose for you in his kingdom. Devotion despite unworthiness. And then there's one more step here to prove this is real, and that's to express response despite cost. Look at the response of Peter, James, and John in verse 11. It says this, So they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. That's pretty amazing. Just to think where they are. This morning they have been professional fishermen. That's what they are all about. Now they pull their boats up on shore, turn their back on their boats, on their livelihood, and follow after Jesus. That's amazing. And don't think for a moment for them to give up their livelihood is any less significant than what it would have been for you to do the same. Imagine coming home after work someday and saying, hey, honey, I quit my job today. I'm going on the road with the traveling evangelist. He says, what? What's the pay? Say, well, actually, it's volunteer work. Sounds kind of crazy, doesn't it? But that's exactly what they do. They knew that they couldn't do anything else. They'd encountered Jesus. They'd seen there is so much something different in this person that I can't do anything other than give myself fully and completely over to that, over to him. So, does that mean we all need to quit our jobs and go into ministry? No. It might be that God would call you to quit your job and go into vocational ministry. That's a possibility. But it could also be that God already has you exactly in the place, planted in the place where you can have the most significant impact. Because you're already engaged with people who are in need of the love of Jesus. You're already engaged with people who need a touch. Something that would encourage them in in a direction that they need to go that you see so very plainly. And they're blinded to. God might have you exactly where he needs you to be. 
The key here is that whatever place you are in, that you would see that as a place from which and in which you can give full devotion and complete glory to God. That you are all in in that place. And that you're doing everything that you possibly can do, fully invested in serving the Lord from that spot. You might say, well, that's going to cost me, and that might be true, but whoever said that there wasn't a cost associated with the biggest, most meaningful things that we can ever possibly experience in life? There is a cost. Peter, James, and John come to experience the fact that there is a cost, but they are willingly paying that price because they want to experience the full meaningfulness of walking in fellowship with Jesus. That's what I want for you too, but it's going to require a cost in your life as well. For many of us around here, this is the commitment we were making when we decided to go all in. We knew that God had more in store for us than just simply pursuing our own selfish interests, our own personal ideals. We knew we needed to go deeper. We knew that there was something more, a way that we just needed to engage fully with the purposes of God. And so when the opportunity came up to be a part of putting in place a, a building through which God could do some really amazing things in our local community, you were like, I can't do anything else. Sign me up. And we saw a huge response of people when we went there. When it was time to say we have the opportunity to impact a community of people in Kenya in this rural village and give them hope where there hasn't been hope before, you were like, count me in. Or when there was opportunity to take clean water and living water to people who were in desperate need, you stepped up to the plate. And today we have the opportunity to celebrate so much that has happened in those realms over the course of these last two years that would not have happened if we would not have been willing to say, I understand there's a cost, but I'm going to respond. I'm going to go all in. And today we have the opportunity to take that another step forward. I've been asking you to pray and ask God how it is that he might have you to respond to the needs that continue to exist because even if we fully fulfill the pledges that have been made, that have been significant, and people are right on track almost completely to hit those targets, even if we do that, there's still a need that exists beyond that. And there's still more that we can do. And so, as we've stepped up before, we want to have the opportunity to step up again. And so I've asked you to pray. Just to pray and ask the Lord what He'd have you to do. Seems to me there are three different groups of people. One of those are people who were here at the very start of the project and said, I am all in, and signed up and got on board and have been faithfully making this happen. And you're celebrating in your heart today what's been accomplished because of that. Another group of people who were here at that time, but for one reason or another, maybe there was no way they just could do it, or I, I don't know what the situation might have been. You just said, you know what, it's, the time's not right. I, I'm not in, but now circumstances have changed as you've been praying. The other group of people would be ones who you haven't even been here a year. You've never really had the opportunity to express your all-in-ness, if you will, in this regard. So today we come to do that, all right? This is not a hard sell thing. This is a, what is God calling you to do? And then just respond with that. And so if you would, what I want you to, have, what, what I want you to do is just to 
take a look at this card that is there in your bulletin. Just want to explain it quickly so you know how to use it if you see fit to do so. And if you turn to the white side of that card, you'll see there are some lines that are to be filled in and there's a signature toward the bottom. But if you just take a look at this, there are two boxes. The top box is for those who have never been a part of All In in the past. Might be because you're here for the first, you know, you've just been here less than a year, so you never had this opportunity. Maybe this is, you've been around longer than that, but opportunity wasn't there for you or you just didn't for some reason. If you've never been a part of it before, over the course of the next year, between now and the end of 2018, you put in that box what it is that you would pledge to give toward this project from now until the end of that period, whatever that would be. It might be a one-time gift. You might even want to include it in the envelope today and turn it in. Or it might be this much each month, or, but basically it's just one total. Add up all of what that would be over the next year and write that on that line, sign it at the bottom, put this in the envelope, seal it, and drop it in the offering bag when it goes by. The bottom box would be for those of you who've already been a part of this. You've already been giving. You've already been all in. But God, as you've been praying, has just been saying to you, you know what, there's something else. Maybe God has blessed you in such amazing ways. It's like, I want to keep returning to him because the blessing is so great. What you would put in that bottom box is the total that you would plan to commit over the entire project. So maybe you've already given 10,000. It's like there's another 5,000 I want to give, so I'm writing 15,000 in the box. <clears throat> Whatever it is for you. If you've, if you've prayed, you've asked God, and he's like, yeah, what you committed in the early days is exactly where I would still have you to be. Praise God for that. You don't need to turn in a card at all. Okay? Put it in that envelope, seal it up, drop it in the offering bag when it goes by. And we'll rejoice in that. You might be here, you might say, you know what? This kind of catches me off guard. I wasn't here last weekend when we were talking a lot about that. I'm just not quite ready. Fine. This week is fine. Sometime during the week, your envelope actually has a, an, an address on there. You can send it. You can bring it next weekend, whatever. However it is that the Lord leads you. I don't want you to respond as much to me as I want you to respond to what the Lord is leading you to do. So listen to him. What I want to do is give you just about a minute. Um, just have time to, to fill that out if you would like to or to keep praying about it or whatever. So we're just going to take about a minute in silence and uh, you do what you need to do there. Then the ushers are going to come and they're going to take that offering. You can drop that in. So let's just uh, take a minute in silence here together. I know that making challenges of ourselves can be a little scary at times, can certainly be challenging at times, but that's where trust despite doubt 
That's where devotion, despite unworthiness, that's where response, despite cost, really comes in. I don't want us to be people that shrink back from experiencing all the blessing that God has in store for us, the miraculous things that he wants to do in our lives. And as we respond fully and completely to him, we don't have to fear that we'll miss out on where it is that he is taking us. I just thank God for all of you. I thank God for the way that, God, that he has brought people into this place that are serious about getting ministry done. And for whatever your response has been or whatever it is going to be, I just praise God for the fact that he's uniting us, that he is setting a goal out in front of us, and that together we are moving our way forward. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence in our midst. Thank you for this congregation. Thank you for the call to, even though we might not be in a place where we understand everything, where there are doubts that still exist in our mind, that we can still trust you like Peter does. We can still express that faith. We can still step out in ways. And as we do so, we know that you will meet us there. And Lord, for the challenges and obstacles that are being faced by those sitting here right now, listening right now, I just pray your blessing and your boldness and that your purposes would be accomplished, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.